Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are Jill's Journals Out Loud. And I'm recording this on Sunday, uh, I believe it's February 11th or 12th. As you know, I'm so disassociated from the real world. I do know it's 2023. Uh, we're still live and in the field. I'm still in Yuma. And uh, I wanted to just get this recorded for you because I just got finished watching the uh, Jordan Peterson Temple Grandin interview. It was almost two hours uh, and they went on to do more. I have like four pages of notes for myself but I'm having so many things fire off in my head right now. I wanted to get this out and get it to you. Uh, and I may be bringing it up again. And what sort of stimulated this is I've also been watching uh, this show about a psychopath. And psychopathy is something that's become very prevalent out in the world as we keep asking, or some people keep asking, like, why are these people making insane decisions that are killing so many people? And... My intention, my original intention had been to do a, a podcast with you on psychopathy, autism, and the wired for danger. Do we have anything in common? Are we all the same person with a different uh, way out? I know I just gave Haven something to play with and she just finished it early. So now she's ready to jump out of the car. <sighs> Focusing. And so uh, I... I've been, you know, researching and kind of moving along, but I wanted to watch this interview, but because it was two hours, it was, you know, like hard to watch two hours on my little phone. So I got most of it and I just finished it up today, early this morning and today. And so it, there's so much in there. I'm, I'm going to devote this particular podcast right now into just autism. Uh, and I'm also going to relate it to this whole process of push-pull uh, pause that I've been talking to you about. And uh, what I will say up front is I do not perceive Jordan Peterson or Temple Grandin as wired for danger people. Uh, I don't hear anything in their stories. I don't see anything in their mannerism that says if the if the house is on fire, these are going to be the first people that run in. Uh, but they are both push people. They both have a lot of push. And so the first thing I want to say is when I talk about the fight response within the nervous system of a wired for danger person, that is a push energy. But we are all a combination of push-pull-pause. And the reason I'm really hammering on this is that push does not equal fight and resist. And uh, and it's applicable to us all, but I'm going to tell you a quick story here about why it's so important and why I'm speaking so passionately to those of us who are in that wired for danger category, which is not the story that you hear Peterson or Grandin talking about. But this morning I was in town running errands and I was sitting at the light, you know, waiting for the light to change and the light changed. And then I see a truck pulling a flatbed trailer uh, going into the red light. And then somebody in line with me, one car over, punching it and taking out the back of the trailer. And those are two people in push mode that just had a car accident because... There was no pause for them. Now, I'm pretty, you know, having drag trailers, it's pretty 
likely that the person with the truck pulling the trailer, like I've thought, is like, I can't slam on the brakes when I have this trailer behind me. Uh, I'm going to just, and I'm not even going to punch it, right? I'm just going to get, try and get through the uh, intersection because you're the length of two cars. So it's always kind of a gamble. But I'm sure all of you are aware of people who just gun it, right? They slam on the accelerator and they slam on the brakes. And those are people, not always, but a lot of people who drive like that are are wired for danger people because there's that that rush that I got to get going. I can't be late. Always pushing against, always in a hurry to the point where you're not taking in what's going on in the rest of the world. And, you know, my driving has changed significantly as I've gotten older because I'm aware that a lot of, after, of course, getting pulled over a few times, uh, you know, I'm aware that that push, that fight, that rush because something else is more important, like I got to get someplace or I don't want to be in the car anymore or nine times out of ten I got to go to the bathroom or whatever it is that has me raging against what I don't want in that moment, which is to be waiting at a red light or going slow or having people go slow in front of me. It's that emotional flooding that is that push-fight response that gets us into trouble relentlessly in our normal boring life. But it's the thing that saves lives and is heroic when it's an appropriate response. And I was thinking about how, uh, you know, there's a mom, I don't remember how long ago this was, who fought off, a, you know, a young woman who fought off a mountain lion trying to protect her two-year-old. So she flooded and she dived in and she attacked the mountain lion. But that same response, if her husband said, you know, I'm going to take full custody of your kid, you know, she's praised for attacking the mountain lion. See how awesome it is that she's attacked the mountain lion. But now her husband may say, oh, I'm going to take, I'm going to sue for full custody. I'm not saying this happened. I'm suppositioning. But uh, she would probably have that same flood response and maybe kidnap that kid or do something or have huge violent emotional reactions. Uh, because it's the same situation. There's a threat to my child and I need to protect it. And in one situation, she's a hero. And in the other situation, she's a crazy woman who needs to be institutionalized or gone to prison or put on medications. And this is why I'm talking about it, because it's awesome in the crisis and it rips the rest of our lives apart when we don't understand it. And one of the problems of being young and flooded with hormones and lack of social skills to manage this thing is that you get yourself in trouble all the time. And so I am particularly, uh, as she discusses in this interview, pick one problem. And, and this is what I understand. It's the language I understand. I just had a, uh, there's a really nice couple here who have like the best spot ever. The way they, it's just this really cool flat spot that's tucked away. And they said, do you want to, I was going to go to town. And if I lost my spot, I told them I would try to park close by. And she said, well, you're welcome to go park over there. And I'm like, and I couldn't tell them the truth. I said, well, you know, I talk to myself a lot, but I talk to myself in a lot in a way that's violent for other people. And I can't regulate that all the time. And, you know, these days my frustration level is really short. I can't be in physical proximity to other people that can hear me 24 hours a day because I can't contain myself and my language 24 hours a day. So we we are our own unique 
person in this overall process. Which brings me to the next question is, does the Wired for Danger brain wire wiring uh, nervous system, is that part of this uh, autistic scale or part of this neurodiverse world? And there's no data on this because when I talk about Wire for Danger, I have not found any uh, research data. Now, I have no patience to do studies and blah, blah, blah. I don't care because intuitively I know I'm right on this thing because I've uh, seen it called, it's called all kinds of things and it's labeled in all kinds of ways. You know, ADHD, oppositional defiance disorder, you know, it's the source of so much of addiction. It's why some people get PTSD and some people don't. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of other ways that we act out that I know stem from this particular type of nervous system. And we don't have a language to talk about why it's like that. Now, what I believe, just from my own uh, study and my own professional experience of working with people and my personal experience of, you know, being around people is that it's a percentage issue. Some people are extremely neurodiverse, meaning they score high on the ADHD scale or the, you know, oppositional defiance or whatever. Uh, You know, I would say I call myself raging ADHD and it's that same parts of me that makes me better in a crisis because uh, the technical part is the frontal lobes are under-functioning and they function normally. They feel better when you have that rush of adrenaline, which is why, you know, people like me do better with negativity because it's more stimulating than positivity. Uh, Now, the autistic brain can look like a couple different things. And one of the conversations she has is she thinks in pictures. She thinks in practical, and the conversation they're having with Jordan Peterson is the verbal communicator who's very word-oriented versus the autistic brain is thought to be a visual processor. So they see in pictures. Uh, And, you know, I think there's a range on that. Um, I would say, you know, I was watching these two people have a conversation and I'm like, well, that's both, both of those people are like what's going on in my brain on any given day. And it was because I'm both, I have both visual and I have verbal. And at one point, I was had already formulated a question that Jordan Peterson was asking and Temple Grandin was going to answer, but I'd already jumped to the question and the answer in my head and had it completed before he was even able to articulate what the question was. Uh, and she's unable to answer a lot of his questions because he's speaking abstractly where she's wildly practical and she's not interested in what she calls the gobbledygook. She just wants to get to the bottom line. And, and that's, you know, been something I, that's what makes me a terrible therapist, right? Like I can go in and figure out your bottom line in 10 minutes, but most of us don't want to know what our bottom line is. We want to, you know, thrash around with all this other stuff before we actually get there. And so, so at a practical level, I think what's so important in a world that's just dying to label everyone in every way about everything is to understand where all different percentages. We all have a different moving in and out of these different ways of thinking. 
uh, different ways of feeling, uh, of visualizing. Uh, you know, so many, especially for women, so many of these brain processes are driven by our hormones, depending on uh, the time of the month, depending on where we are over the course of our life. Uh, you know, when the hormones start, when they fluctuate in pregnancy, when they're you know, post-pregnancy, pre-menopause, menopause. I mean, there's so much hormonal fluctuation for women. Uh, you know, I can see all the different ways I think and feel change as my hormones have shifted. And I'm sure most of you who are women totally understand what I'm talking about. It's not one dry process forward. And, and you know, at the very end, the first... It, it's about two hours. The first hour is kind of excruciating. And by the second hour, they find kind of their rhythm. Uh, and one of the things she really, you know, highlights at the end, which is the simple, obvious, no kidding solution is that we need everybody. Uh, and we're phasing people out. And her passion right now is to uh, create educational opportunities for what she calls kids who think differently. And I'm thinking, man, it's just for people who think. That's what I notice is fewer and fewer people are interested in thinking versus just having others agree with their opinion. That, um, you know, it's like she has some flexibility. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with her, uh, in the 70s, when this wasn't, you know, something anybody talked about, she got interested in animals and then she became the leader uh, in how cattle are processed through the kill plants, the kill plant process. And the most interesting thing that she said to me that I took away was after 25 years of divine, designing systems and engineering uh, solutions and replacing equipment and having conversation, she couldn't get anywhere. But within six months of creating an accountability system, there was massive change across the industry. And that also uh, correlated with her getting a McDonald's contract. So, so there was like 75 meat plants that supplied McDonald's. And so, you know, obviously they weren't going to be able to keep their money if they didn't pass this uh, uh, accountability audit. But I just thought, you know, I, I know that intellectually and I tell people that all day long. And when you're solving a problem, it's about the people. It's not the problem itself. And we get in our own way because there's always a solution, which is why I talk about all this other stuff, because the issue isn't how to solve the problem. The issue is why we don't. And that's where all this push-pull-pause stuff comes into play, because it's not rational. You know, like, why did her, you know, the question was, why won't the managers create change. She, When she was new in the industry, it was all push against the cows. It was, and I see this, you know, almost everybody that's a push person that I met that handled cows had killed at least one out of frustration uh, or they just shot anything that frustrated them. That was their solution was, I can't deal with whatever you're doing. And so I'm just going to kill you. And, you know, if you've ever... Well, most of you probably haven't worked with cows. They are so frustrating because they're huge. And the more you push at them, the more fearful they become. And the more 
thrashing they go they start to thrash around and you can't physically control them and so you try to physically control them through shoving and yelling and electrocuting and whipping and uh tying up and all these horrible things that people do to animals to try to get them to be controlled like I talked about with the horse right well I broke that horse by tying it to a post and beating it until it gave up uh, that's all that emotional flood rage push that 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 person feeling that doesn't a recognize or b recognizes and doesn't know what to do with and wants to do, you know, see, wants to change it, but doesn't know how. Uh, and, you know, then we have people who are not push people divide, dividing, uh, devising systems of uh, anger management that will kind of work. But it doesn't take into the account that it's not about making this rush experience go away. It's about the capacity to turn it on and off intentionally. So it's not beating the dog when the dog won't comply, but it's about turning it on when the mountain lion tries to take the dog out versus turning it off or minimizing it when the dog is just the, her newest thing. I have to tell you, you know, for the most part, there's no trash out here. I'm in Yuma on some BLM land. But man, I will not... I am taken away by how many people are just pooping and either putting their dirty Kleenex or whatever all over it or just leaving it out in the open. And I can't even take her off the leash anymore because she's rolling in it and she's eating it. And now she has like this huge wart on her face. And I can only imagine why that showed up. From, But it's this con. And so, you know, I, I immediately flood because I'm furious that... You know, people are pooping out in the open, uh, that she's eating it and rolling in it, and I can't do anything about it. And, of course, then I'm like psycho, and she doesn't want to come back to me. Because, you know, I still haven't gotten a handle on that. <laughs> There's certain things that I flood over because it's so repulsive to me what she's doing. And, you know, I had a dog die. I had a dog eat people poop, uh, get just insanely bad uh, vomiting and diarrhea, uh, choked on some vomit, got aspiration uh, pneumonia, and died. So I have a big connection to a major loss. So, so these are the reasons that we flood, we push, we rage so quickly and so out of control that another person might go, oh, wow, that's really gross. Come here and just put her on the leash and walk off. And I have this like over-the-top reaction uh, and, you know, put lack of sleep or any of those other things on top of it. And it gets a thousand times worse. So I'm passionate about people like me because we create so many problems for ourselves and for others when at the same time we are the people meant to go out and make a great big change or do the thing that needs to be done. Maybe just once in our lifetime, you know, maybe there's just one seriously major thing you need to be available for. I mean, this is how I really, I don't think our lives necessarily are that complex. Like we may come into the world to just do one thing, you know, and spend a whole lifetime. So listening to them, I can recognize that they are probably not wired for danger people, but the entire conversation was an 
exercise and first they're pushing against each other. Uh, she is all push. There's no flexibility in the way she talks about things. So he has to give up and follow. Uh, and then eventually he gets into the following. So he's able to, um, you know, elicit better content because he's not fighting her on what he wants to talk about versus what she wants to talk about and how she wants to talk about it. And, uh, and so you can see this whole interaction take place. And what's so important about this isn't just, you know, all the stuff that I just talked about. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to give you, no matter who you are, because we're always all three, whether we're verbal communicators, where we're process or outcome, whether we're men or women, you know, whether we're leaders or followers, like all the ways we look at ourselves, every bit of it is a push-pull-pause process. And so all I'm trying to give you is a way to understand yourself, not because that will solve every problem in the world, but it takes the edge off. When you can understand what's happening, like you can observe what's happening between these two people, instead of getting uh, focused on which style is right, being wildly abstract or insanely concrete and practical in the collision of the two, you can step back and actually listen to what's happening without feeling yourself being pulled or uh, pushing or pulling on this whole process that's happening between the two of them. Uh, in the same way, you know, when we have kids that are different than us and we butt heads, you know, two push people, as you can see here, it's very difficult. You know, two people who want to run away, dead silence, right? Two pause people both just stop talking and turn the television on. So it isn't about fixing every problem. It's about taking our control back, that mastery of self. So the problem itself doesn't derail us because we will always have problems. The problem to the solution is always the person. The person gets in the way of any kind of real solution because every problem has a solution they're always usually very simple and can be dealt with practically. The reason that doesn't happen is because of the people, not because there aren't solutions or there aren't uh, systems or equipment or all this stuff. The only reason we have problems that can't be solved is because we, the people, get in the way. And there's no moment in time in our experience in which we don't have problems. I mean, that's just who we are. We're problem solvers. Uh, every season is different. I mean, any farmer or rancher will tell you, you never stop learning. There's always a new thing to learn. So it's it's, it's, you know, it's that auditing example, like nothing changed until she found a way to keep people accountable. And I said that as a social worker and a therapist, I hated it because nobody really wants to do the work. And, and it's at the same time, there's no authority to get people accountable. Like you have all the responsibility, but you have no authority when you work for somebody else. You can't say what you need to say. You can't do what you need to do. Uh, you can't quit when you want to quit, right? 
And so it just becomes really frustrating. And, you know, we do things like create pharmaceutical so you can take a drug and you don't have to do anything. Like all your problems will be solved if you just take this drug. So I don't have to be responsible. I don't have to be accountable. I can just take a pill and I won't feel bad anymore. Uh, And I recognize, you know, that my message is always to do the work and be at the ready and dealing with all the crap. And most of people are not, they don't wake up in the morning and try to figure out, you know, how I want to change myself so that I can be a better person in my own life, right? They think about all kinds of stuff. And so I get that I'm not on everybody's same page. And, uh, and the autistic brain, because I've been having a lot of conversations in my own head, like, am I autistic? And I do have a lot of autistic traits, but I'm also a wildly abstract thinker to the point where my my abstract thinking has become nonverbal and so I can't talk to anybody about it because it stopped having words a long time ago. So we're all just such unique, amazing human beings in this wildly complex soup. But when we talk about autism and we talk about uh, the wire for danger there you can be both I think one of the key things that I observe with a lot of uh, autistic people and the same is true for psychopaths is they don't have that same fear response now the wire for danger person often has a wildly intense fear response but they can move through the fear and do it anyways. And so uh, I'm, I'm thinking there's a bit of a difference because to have no fear response means that you don't have that rush of adrenaline, of hormones and neurotransmitters, that is what creates that energetic boost that makes you do the stupid thing, you know, run into the burning building, lift a car up, uh, you know, step in front of somebody with a loaded gun, right? It's that rush that makes us irrational and intense and uh, making insanely impractical, non-practical decisions that is our superpower. And what's interesting about that, and those of you who, well, some of you will understand what I'm going to say and some won't, is that the same process is happening, whether you're a Jordan Jordan Peterson thinker who's doing it abstractly and verbally, whether you're a Temple Grandin person where you're doing it visually and uh, linear, you know, pulling from not linear, but pulling from a lot of different things at one time. You're still having those same processes occur within you, but they're happening so quickly. It's like, uh, you know, it's the difference between, uh, you know, a, a, I was just parked next to a VW bug. I was remembering, you know, when they were the old ones and I had one, you know, it's the difference between starting your little VW up and having to jumpstart and push it. You still travel in it versus a Ferrari where you jump in and you go zero to a hundred and super fast, right? That's the difference in how the processing is going the chemical and the emotional thrust forward is so intense and so fast. That is why this type of wire for danger brain can rush in and do 
that if you really thought about it, right, like you, the mom thought, you know, that's a mountain lion, and I know it has my two-year-old, but there's no way I can physically fight it off because it's bigger than her, and it's almost as big as me, and I don't have a weapon, and maybe I should call for help, and I don't know, am I going to make it worse? And, you know, this is what a non-wired for, dan- for danger person might do. A wired for danger person isn't thinking all of those things in a linear way. They're pulling all everything together that they know, the risk, the positive, whatever, in such a fast, automatic, non-linear process before they can blink, they're on top of that lion just doing their best. And that's the difference. And now that same experience does nothing, you know, but create a lot of problems in your personal life because it's not practical when you're interacting with day-to-day uh, events to have these emotional eruptions. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, frustrating for someone who's very abstract to deal with somebody that's having that's very emotionally eruptive because the abstract thinking is intellectual and left brain and, and usually not about anything concrete. And so it just creates a lot of stress. And so... Everybody can listen to what I'm talking about and take away their own pieces of it. But at the end of the day, you know, what I really believe in is what I'm talking about is a way to help those of us who are wired in a specific way to have, you know, things be easier in the boring parts and also keeping us at the ready and available for what we're born, what we're wired to do within this world. Uh, And then at the same time, I also believe there's a sacred duty that the wire for danger have. And I'm not going to talk a lot about that, you know, right now. But but, so I have some very specific uh, things I believe about who we are as a wire for danger brain. But I also know that what we're talking about here is applicable for all of us in terms of better understanding who we are and understanding who others are. And so, you know, listening to them have these conversations of abstraction, I was thinking, you know, we're, we've got all these ways that we try to connect, uh, you know, whether we're process or outcome, whether we're internal focused or external focused, uh, whether we like to push, whether we like to pause, uh, whether we uh, like the practical or we like the abstract, uh, you know, if we're into survival, the hardcore stuff, or, uh, you know, we're into uh, the la-la spiritual stuff. I mean, we're all kind of masculine energy, feminine energy. We're all a big mix of all this stuff. And when we, and, and if you look at the comments b- below, you know, you just, you hear people showing a lot of respect for both of them. And, you know, the respect is that, you know, one, they're being authentic to who they are, but their intention is in the right place. And I think if we can just step back and remember that we're all just doing the best we can, even when it looks ridiculous, even when it means that the cows are being abused and tortured and mutilated because somebody can't get out of their own way, 
They're not doing it because they like being hurtful. That's where we get into the psychopath. Most people do that kind of stuff because they don't know what's going on with them. They don't know how to shift. They don't know how to change. They don't have the tools and the skills to be flexible to work within processes and systems they don't understand. So they take it personally, they get defensive, they get resistant, uh, you know, they get controlling, all this other stuff. So it's never about how do we solve a problem. Every problem has a million solutions to it. Uh, the issue is always the person. And, uh, and, it, and I don't mean that, you know, I'm thinking about someone who's had that damn solar conversation with me again. And I'm like so frustrated with that. Why didn't you get solar? It's like, well, if I had an infinite amount of money, I'd get everything I wanted, right? It isn't because I'm stupid and I don't know how to solve problems. It's because, you know, not all of us can run out and buy every single thing we need to fix every single problem we have, right? We're we have to adjust and adapt with who we are, where we are, and what we have. And the thing I love about her conversation, and she's so right about this, is that she's out having all these experiences. You know, the minute she gets what she calls the suits out of the office and onto the floor and see what's happening to the cows, then they're ready to make a change. But as long as it's just an abstraction, this is, you know, what's happening with these global psychos. They're not... They don't, the people that are assisting the psychopaths are not in the real world. They're not feeling what it feels like to go hungry. So it's very easy to talk about why people should die of starvation because there's no context. They've never had the experience. It's an abstraction that's very, very far away. As a side note, I just had this thought about... Uh, you know, I finished watching The Chosen, which is the series about Jesus. And uh, they ended the season three uh, with the fishes and the loaves and the walking on water. And, I, you know, but I thought what's interesting about this series is that you're you're beginning to see the Jesus person as a human and as a character and as someone you can relate to. And I was thinking how... When they're mo- going to move up to the point, I assume at some point, where they do the crucifixion, it's going to be intensely more difficult because now we've had this long kind of real life tactile, you know, experience with what Jesus might have been like. It's not just an abstract story, you know, where somebody went up on a cross and they probably felt bad. And, you know, for those of you who watched The Passion of the Christ, you know, when Jim Caviezel played that character and he was crucified, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. But you didn't have a relationship building experience with him as a character, you immediately launched into the torture. And so it was different. It was brutal. It was painful. It was difficult to watch. But you hadn't had this long-term experience as a real, like this is maybe what a real person like Jesus uh, you know, would be like, and now they're, they will crucify him. And all of a sudden I thought, this is going to be insanely more difficult to watch. I don't know how they're going to do it, uh, but even imagine, because now he's real. And that's the power of experience. It's the power of putting the phone down and getting out into the real world and having 
the real things happen because that's really the power of where we we learn about ourselves and we learn about others and we become more empathetic and we have better uh, relationships because, you know, as we get, grow older, right, we have all these experiences and we realize that nobody's perfect and, you know, at 18, we all think we know everything, right? And so, anyways, I, I'm going to uh, hopefully get that as a link in the podcast show notes here. And if you have the time, I really encourage you to watch it. Uh, I would say it's both visually and auditorily a little difficult <laughs> to watch, uh, just because uh, she's very difficult to watch and listen to in many ways. And he's difficult because he's just swimming around in these complex questions and ideas instead of just being simple and bottom lining it, um, you know, which is what they do. That's a that's a culture, you know, that speaks that way. So, but anyways, at the end of the day, you know, we all have uh, our own particular set of wiring. And, and as an exercise, this might be a good journaling exercise. I was doing it in my head uh, while I was watching. I uh, was thinking about my ancestry, what my mom and my dad did, what their parents did, what their parents did. Uh, and as I was doing that, you know, it really made me realize where the crazy came from, where the engineering part came from, where the artistic part came from. Uh, it was just an interesting exercise to see how my ancestors' wiring and proclivities and uh, personalities and strengths and how they saw the world verbally or visually, how all those things are a great big soup, right, that keep getting passed down, you know, each through the generation uh, about who we are, right? And, you know, I have a very uh, functional, practical left side, and I have a very creative, abstract right side. And, you know, I am a product of my ancestors because it's all mixed up there. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting, uh, I think, if we take some time to think about where we come from uh, and who who came before us and how their wiring made us who we are. And we can say thank you, even for the crazy ones, because we have so much more information now. I had a grandfather that was just a genius, but he was out of his mind and he was abusive and he was uh, brutal. And I'm like, oh, you know, I know where I got some of that from. So it's, um, it's an interesting exercise to kind of look at where we came from and how we're wired, uh, and what the result was. And if you have kids, what you have passed on to your children, which is why I don't have children. <laughs> I did not want to pass on what was going on in my head at the time. So just an exercise. Uh, I am going to get to the psychopathy because that is another example of uh, people who do extremely dangerous things, but I don't believe are part of this wired for danger process I've been trying to describe to you. But, but a very, very interesting take that kind of helps explain a lot of what's going on out in the world right now that's so shocking uh, and breathtaking that these things are happening to children and to adults alike. So, all right, deep breath, my friends, and I will see you next time.